You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Jöran Linde, the CEO at Echo Online. If you look forward five to six years, what is the possibility that you still be in leading company or you'll be swallowed by someone else? Hello there, we are back with a new episode of the SAS Nordic podcast and we are really happy that you are tuning in and I think you will see that we have a great episode in front of us. We, we do have a great episode indeed and this was one of those where we always learn something but this was uncharted territory for both of us, Thomas, right? Yes. None of us has been through too many of these exercises. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you're working for a company, you might have been part of one acquisition or, or one merger and so on. But in this case, uh, this company have done, I think it was 11 or something, right? 11, yes. Yeah. 11. And during, you know, just the last few four years, I think. Yeah. So that's a lot to do in a short time. Yeah. And a lot of knowledge and experience takeaways that we can take from that. But before we go into the interview, uh, would like to highlight that we have an event coming up. So Sassiest Digital 2022. You make it sound like nobody knows. Hopefully everybody knows by now. Yeah. But have you registered yet? I hope you have. We will also have some special perks for the one that registered early. And um, well, I think we have a great roster of speakers and it's going to be a fantastic day. So, um, yeah, don't wait. Sign up. SassiestDigital2022.com, right? Absolutely. That's where you should go. Do it. Do it. Right. But let's go on with the episode. Today, we are joined by Jöran Linde, the CEO at EcoOnline. So welcome, Jöran, to the SAS Nordic podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. It's a pleasure. And, and we have the pleasure, Thomas and I, to meet you regularly because you're a member of our CEO network. But for the ones that don't know you from the past, who's Jöran? Well, um, you know, as you said, pointed out, I'm the CEO here at EcoOnline. I've been here for four and a half, soon five years, truly enjoying working with leading B2B SaaS technology, but also combining that that offering is actually have a clear purpose, protecting people and protecting the environment. And uh, we make the board a little bit of better place every day. And I really, I really enjoy that part. Um, but uh, who am I more? Well, I'm a father of three children living here in Oslo. So I'm an immigrant, Swedish immigrant living in Norway. Not that hard, but uh, <laughs> it, it is still still a foreign country. And um, so, what what brought you to Norway? Was it was it the work? No, that was uh, maybe even stronger drive. Love, I would say. Ah, as I have a Norwegian wife, we met in Stockholm, but uh, traveled, uh, lived there for eight years, and then uh, then it was time to move to Oslo. All right, I'm truly enjoying. It's, it's not, I mean, similar cultures than all the cultures are uh, actually quite aligned, I would say. Yeah. So uh, what is your background? What did you do before on EcoOnline? Well, I, I spent um, 10, 11 years in the IT industry in a company called Dustin that I, at least people in Nordics normally know about. Yeah. So started there when that company was only Swedish and and um, expanded it in all the Nordic regions and, and uh, both through M&A and through organic growth, by the way, and um, headed up the full e-commerce engine and, and uh, was also responsible for logistics and IT and, and all the SME businesses, 100,000 
uh, SME customers. Okay. A very interesting journey. And prior to that, I spent 10 years as a management consultant in other. All right. But, uh, but quite a change going from e-commerce and uh, consumer electronics to what you do now. So can you please tell us a little bit more um, about Echo Online? Yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Echo Online, as, as we point out, is a B2B SaaS company. So the main difference is that we, the only, you know, the main purpose we have is to develop leading software as a service tools that we sell by subscription. And as we pointed out, Dustin is a IT company also selling a lot of things to business to business. That is the main thing. Consumer business for Dustin is almost insignificant, almost nothing. Okay. Uh, but the difference is that, of course, we develop our own product uh, and Dustin is mainly a reseller of other uh, company's products. I think that is the main difference between the company companies. And Echo Online then develops software that um, helps companies to cope with environment, health, and safety risks. So that could be and security to avoid them. So it's both to be compliant and follow the regulations that is already in place, but it's also about really creating a safety culture and protect your your, your people. You probably don't know, but when I, when I started Echo Online, I didn't have a clue about this, but I thought that environment, health, and safety was a something that was not for Europe or Nordics. That you know we have quite safe workplaces and nothing happens here. But that's unfortunately not true. So it's it's really a big. Um, firstly, you can see in the European Union, twenty five percent of the healthcare cost in the whole of European Union is actually connected to sickness that has developed through exposure at work. Wow. It's a huge cost for society. Hmm. And then on top of that, every fourth people in your EU feel afraid at work. 25% doesn't feel full, fully safe at work. And when, when you talk about afraid, it's about like physically get, becoming, you know, getting injured or something like that. Or mentally, I guess. Yeah, it could be all the types of risk. It could be risks of, of as you said, getting physically injured or psychologically injured or... Or, or other things, but it's still a big, uh, big sum, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot of people out there, uh, and on top of that, you know, more than two hundred thousand people die every year at work in Europe, and so many, many, many more gets uh, into severe accidents or or get exposures that will change the quality of their life for forever. Mm. So it is actually, you know, th- this is a serious matter that is uh, much, much more larger than people think, I would say, and what I thought myself when I started. So I think that's really a good purpose to, to work with. And it's also a lot of unknown things like chemicals we work with that many chemicals are quite dangerous and you unfortunately don't know know it already uh, always. So you can handle them in the wrong way or both for yourself and the environment if you don't have the knowledge. Right. So our software is really about to spread that knowledge in a easy to use, you know, ready in your mobile um, available matter to be able to report incidents and accidents before them happen. So if you see a risk in your workplace, you should be able to report on it and say, look here, we should fix this. This is dangerous. Okay. And then it can go into a proactive workflow and you can actually prevent accidents to happen. So who, who is then your ideal customer? It sounds like this could fit m- many types of organizations, but like... Who is the Echo Online customer? Yeah, that's the beauty uh, of it is that uh, in our industry, you know, we estimate that 80% of the potential customers are not using any software yet. Okay. 80%. So a huge amount of customers, corporate customers, then are using Excel spreadsheets, uh, these type of things um, uh, instead. Uh, and if you look at our customer base, we we have attracted all types of industries, almost like 80 different industries and also many different sizes, everything from large international enterprises and 
large public entities to small SME customers. But one thing that is still very seldom there is the pure, what I would call pure office worker industries. That will be ourselves, you know, only only working in office or a lawyer or a consulting firm. Right. Those that are have no workers outside, outside a uh, corporate office. Uh, they still have the need of our tools, but their the penetration is still very low. But all other uh, industries are actually represented. Okay. Let, let's put things in perspective. We always do this with every guest, uh, just so everybody know where you're coming from in Echo Online. Give us some hard numbers here, like what is your ARR? How quickly are you guys growing? Where are your customers geographically? The market is your presence. Walk us through that. Mm -hmm. So a very short history is that Econo was started more than 20 years ago in Norway, working only with the chemical safety part. Now we have expanded the platform, become much larger. So we, we developed within the Nordics until 2018 when I started, and then we expanded outside Nordics. At that point, we were 100 people and 100 million Norwegian krona of ARR, mm -hmm. that's like 10 million euros. Um, now we are approximately five times that size in both ARR and in people. So we are around 500 million Norwegian krona and 500 staff. So that is a approximately a 45% KGAR. 30% uh, of that approximately comes from organic growth, attracting new customers and selling more to existing customers. And 15% of that annually comes from uh, acquisitions. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that just in, in, a, in a minute here. And, and you guys are present all over the world, or are there particular regions that are more common for you and your business? Yeah, for sure. I mean, no, we're not present all over the world in that sense. In our industry, it is still, even if it is a global industry, it still needed some local regulations, know-how, and some localizations in the software. So yeah. we are leading in the Nordics. We're also leading in the UK and Ireland region. And we have a good small footprint into US. And uh, we have around 7,000 customers spread um, through those regions. So as of today, we still a bit more ARR and customers uh, in the Nordics compared to outside the Nordics. Right. But we, are, we have offices in all the Nordic countries. So that's Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway. So what can you say about the ownership structure behind Echo Online? Well, um, uh, when I started out, then Viking Ventures and Summa Equity, two uh, really good um, SaaS investors, uh, Viking being a pure SaaS investor and Summa being uh, an investor that focus on companies that actually support the UN SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, I am doing something good that I talked about before. Those were, those were our main owners and have uh, were that until... 19, so that went quite fast when we decided to, to actually go for an international investor as well, and Goldman Sachs entered uh, EcoOnline. Um, and then um, not more than one and a half or years after that, we actually decided to, to get listed on Euronext Grove. All right. And we kept them both, Summa and Goldman. So Summa and Goldman has been in our board all the time and been sort of working with us quite similar as they do with other assets but on top of that we also got very large international owners i.e the largest us and uk public market investors in tech mm -hmm. as an example and uh, started investing in us so that was quite exciting and all of that uh, beauty turned a bit around and uh, given the market turn on sauce especially on listed stock um, we felt that the climate was not right to be listed for a growth company like, like us. Uh, we are still in a very much of an investment phase in a mm -hmm. virgin market. 
Um, so hence, uh, we also got the quite a lot of offers uh, externally, and just before summer, we uh, uh, or the board accepted the bid from Apex. So just in a couple of days, actually, like eighth of September, or so we will uh, the transaction goes through, and Apex will uh, acquire the shares of Echo Online, and we will again be a private company uh, owned by private equity. Wow. Okay. So w- will they own a hundred percent then, or how does it work? Yeah, exactly. When you go off, when you get delisted, that's the only transaction that is allowed, so to say. <laughs> you, okay. Someone needs to buy everything that is on the listed exchange and, and buy it off. But no, after it will not be 100% then uh, quite soon. I mean, it will be, all, uh, be also other owners, including management. That sounds almost like an episode on its own, talking about the different uh, ownership structures. We're, we're going to get there at some point. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend anyone to do that many in that <laughs> short time frame. I would, uh, I would argue against that, but it's been quite exciting yeah. learning for sure. Uh, I bet, I bet. So today we actually wanted to talk about what you also mentioned here, your M&A strategy. You've been growing organically yourself, but you've also had a dedicated M&A strategy. True. When Thomas and I sat here thinking like, you know, where do we start? Where do we take this? The very first thing that popped up to us is, how does one decide that we're going to grow with an M&A strategy? What is it that triggers that idea? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me and for us, and I think this is probably quite generic, I would say, is that it, there needs to be a couple of things um, in place, I assume. One would be, is it a fragmented industry? Are there many other companies out there? Um, uh, that is precedent. So if you're very early and there's nothing there to acquire, okay, it doesn't make sense to, to go for an acquisition strategy, of course. But also what type of, of, of um, companies are out there? Is it enough amount, basically? I think the other thing uh, or some other things that you need to take into account, I assume, is you know, what is, um, how hard is it to expand your offering cross-border? Uh, how much organic investment do you need to to do the geographic rollout and or offering rollout. With that said, I mean, if that is very easy, very fast and very scalable, you could argue that organic growth could be a very efficient way and fast way. But of course, if you, on the other hand, feel that no, this could take time. It could take time to attract talent. It will take time to build out the product and or expand organically. I think it makes a lot of sense to look at the alternative to grow and build leadership also for acquisition. Mm-hmm. And in our case, then that was exactly what was there. We knew that this was a fragmented market. We knew that it's going to expand in offering. Many, many more customers will demand more than chemical safety that we had at that point. They will also demand other pieces of environment, health and safety, because it's the same buyer and it makes sense that you want more of the offerings. And to develop all that those offerings and in parallel expand geographically just organically, it would be very demanding. Right. Uh, so that is one reason uh, for it. And uh, the other one is, of course, to, I would say, especially even more now in our market, you know, to have many customers, you learn a lot from customers. If you also acquire customer accounts, you can learn more and develop product better. That's the same with talent. If you have 10 developers that are really good, that's great. But if you have 100 developers that are really great and started to work together, it's a big difference. Right. And that's approximately what we did during this year. So we were 10, we are 100 now. It's a huge difference in what kind of impact and learnings and what kind of community you become uh, on the engineering side as well. Yeah. So I think it really connects to many, many things. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, Jaren, you, you're, and we mean this in the best possible way, we think it's a powerful term. You're a hired gun. You came in to, to Echo Online. Yes. 
Was there already an M&A strategy? Did the board and, and previous owners and so on, was it already outlined or is this something that you developed? How did this come about? Yeah, very good question. I mean, the company before I started was led by the CEO that had been there for 16 years. He didn't found the company, but almost then. So he was almost there from the beginning. Um, and the founder was also still present, Shell Hamnes, um, working with, with tech. They themselves hadn't developed a M&A strategy, but when Viking Venture entered the company in 15, two years before I sort of started to talk to them, and they, they started to do M&A as well, so had done one acquisition. But basically the strategy has been developed afterwards. And the reason, the combination of that, uh, that was the thesis of both from my perspective and also my equity that we believe that this is, uh, it's good to expand outside the Nordics, it's good to expand offering, as I said, to do that um, in a reasonable time frame, you actually need M&A. And of course, I have been working with M&A both my 10 years as a consultant, I worked a lot with M&A and uh, did around 40 transactions uh, and uh, and also in our previous job at Dustin. So it was an experience they looked for, apparently, when I got hired. All right. So when you have it identified a company that you might want to acquire, mm -hmm. what are you looking specifically on uh, in your due diligence or when you decide whether you want to move on with that uh, deal? Very good question. I mean, for us um, and for me, I, I think it's important that you create your M&A strategy so you know what you're looking for before you start to look. Otherwise, it's a risk you become very optimistic and sort of change your strategy so that we did we said that you know we are really interested in most interested in two things that will be enter a new geography get the footprint where we can actually expand from a geography perspective that will be a new country or region and or expand our offering so we can get more offering on board and cross sell to our customers we said we had a third leg to stand on um, and that was scale in existing markets less important but could still be important if it's you know, really synergetic and we can become larger and more more sustainable over time so those three were, were sort of the, the main filter on top of that and that is still true we are really focused on growth so we need to understand you know not so much of how has it developed until we join but what could we do together could we grow faster could we continue to grow very important filter for us so when you have that closer look at the company, what are red flags that would make you to withdraw? Well, um, I would say um, a couple of them. I, I think that the um, one area is actually um, is sort of linked to, as I said, the ability to grow afterwards. That's really that could be linked to people and culture as well. If you think the people and culture are very sort of non-growth focused or very hard to do something with in that sense, and or um, if you just believe that it's going to be hard to grow uh, grow the business, so that is one thing. I think the other pieces we are looking into is also complexity. Uh, will this really add a lot of complexity to us and to them due to, for example, overlapping products and very hard migrations or a lot of tech depth that will be hard to handle or any compliance risk? It could be as well, you know, customers in regions you don't want to be. Those things are also quite sort of red flags, um, I would say. 
Um, and in the end, of course, it's a balance with valuation. If it's too expensive for what we get, that could be a red flag as well. Yeah. Does that then mean that if we take what you just said here, the you know evaluating the tech and so on? So do you put your you know existing CTO and, and other prominent tech folks that you have at hand? Are they very involved and engaged in the due diligence? Do they spend a lot of time when you decided like here's a candidate? To evaluate and sit and discuss how does that work yeah for sure and that takes us a little bit back to 18 when i started as i'd done a lot of m a before i know some of the challenges i actually when we created the vision mission strategy at that point uh, we have three legs in our strategy that is you know attract more new customers grow with your existing customers but also expand and build a stronger footprint for m a so everyone knows that m a is a part of our strategy it's a outspoken part. So it's not nothing that me and Andreas, my VP of corporate development, only works with. And it's nothing that we only talk about sort of in secret, but it's something that is quite open. It's a part of, and that makes it also the whole company sort of understand that will happen. Uh, we have developed a welcoming culture. And yes, in due diligence, then we use, of course, tech and product to look at the tech and product. We also use other pieces of our uh, talented staff and uh, and teams to look at finance or or other pieces of of, um, of the of the puzzle. What has been the most common thing when it comes to uh, to the companies that you acquired and their product? Is that that you have sort of integrated with their solutions, or have you more migrated? You know the users from their solution into your framework, and I mean you can have different tech stacks and so on that can make it. Yeah, less or more uh, complex to do this. Yeah, also a very good question. That's also we, that's something we've done earlier was that we said, realizing that this is a part of our strategy, we realized that yeah, we don't really know what will come, but it will come something new when we execute on this. So we the first thing we developed in our own tech stack was a platform approach to have a single sign-on and open platform where you can actually then fast move in and out offerings and still make them connected for the customer. Okay. We've been working on that quite a lot, uh, and we think that is a, the future regardless if you do it organically also, because then you can do it much more pod and service oriented and you can divide up the development. So I think it's also good for organic development, but even more important if you do M&A. And the only, th- then I have a strong hypothesis, and that is that we should only have one set of marketed products within an area. We shouldn't have two chemical safety or two incident management solutions, uh, and we should have only one brand. And we should be one company, one culture. Okay. So those things are, are quite strange. However, we have been open-minded. So we had our own, for example, health and safety and incident management solution that we discontinued when we acquired Airsweb in UK because we thought they had a better solution. So it doesn't mean that it needs to be the one that we developed that we go for, but we go for the best. A good SaaS company can grow to $10 million in ARR and exit to an M&A consolidator. But a great, enduring SaaS company can grow to hundreds of millions of dollars of ARR and become really iconic. The difference between a good company and a great one is often in perfecting their go-to-market fit. But how do you do that? Access our new go-to-market fit toolkit at gtmf.ox.vc to find out the common denominators for perfecting your go-to-market fit and much more. Walk us through the process of after the fact. You've decided to acquire somebody, the papers are signed and so on. And then I was about to say the real work starts. Yes. 
what happens? Like, how do you make this work when you pick up a company? I know you guys pick up sometimes multiple companies a year. Yeah. Yeah, we've been uh, acquiring um, a lot of companies. Uh, so we are actually at uh, 11 companies since I started. Wow. So how do you make it work? You know, we've heard we've heard the 100-day plans from other uh, acquirers and so on, but tangibly, what happens? I also have sort of maybe a little bit of a different approach there, also from learnings where, because I totally agree, the hard thing is not to acquire, the hard thing is to integrate. If you have to, you know, divide those things. It's not saying that it's easy to acquire, but but it's much, much harder to make it work afterwards. And by that experience, what we try to do already before we sign the final paper is that we always, together with the founders and the other team, discuss how we, what is our hypothesis? How do we want to work together? What will be done? That could be anything from, will this product be sunset or will it not be sunset? Will it be used? To roles for different people and hypothesis on that. That is a bit dangerous, you could say. Yeah, it could make that you actually lose uh, the acquisition, some would argue, but I think it's worth losing it. If you don't dare to talk about what you're going to do, uh, you will still end up with that headache on the other side. So we, so from that perspective, we actually try to land, uh, you know, running. Uh, so we will normally have a quite clear hypothesis communication plan that we execute on directly day one. Normally having one-to-ones uh, or, you know, all staff in both companies uh, presenting the logic, the reason why we do things. Um, and the, the hypothesis could be different then. What will happen the first time, uh, three, 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 six months, and what will happen later? And normally, who owns this plan? Is there one person that is responsible that the six-month plan we put forward here yeah. is executed on? We normally work with, um, I mean, I'm involved, but I also have a very uh, good VP of corporate development that heads this function. So from our perspective, he is the product leader uh, together with me and others. But we also always use uh, the uh, acquisition target CEO and on the same manner. So he sort of, or she is the, is the product leader on their side. And that is just a steering group. On top of that, we always also create streams per function. So there will be some R&D, product, marketing, and other streams where people from both sides work together to create the best possible strategy. All right. So I guess one challenge here, and you've already touched upon it, is the, the culture thing. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences there? Is it, uh, you know, both things that has... Uh, succeeded and maybe when uh, it hasn't been that easy yeah for sure um as i said what we try to do there first is to find the common ground or common platforms to stand on uh, quite early and what we have found for us at least that is always a um, you know source of of making it work is the purpose that we all normally working in our industry really like that we do something that has a positive effect on the customer so that is a good thing to start with the purpose um, part that we actually protect people and protect the environment but after that you we need to, you need to of course to challenge a bit and work with it um, and see what happens and i think what what we can see is that I think two challenges that that, that we for sure have seen um, is one is that when you acquire companies that are maybe 15 to 50 people um, and maybe also develop through one location, a lot of those 
talented staff, really good people, but they are really used to work around one coffee machine. Okay, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes, we've seen that. And that is quite <laughs> challenging. You cannot continue to decide everything around that coffee machine. That will be disaster. Yeah, because a lot of people is now affected. And that's the same for us when I came in. There was a lot of lot of decisions probably, you know, made in Tönsberg where the head office were at that point, you know, around that coffee machine. So that is normally a quite big culture change that you need to do. And I think we've seen in some cases that has really succeeded and people have thrilled and really loved this sort of international and, you know, <laughs> coordination. And in other, others you can see and they come back and say, this is not for me. And that's fine. You know, sometimes it is just a phase that doesn't work. I, I really love this uh, 15 people, we all run one table and make all decisions here. And, and that I cannot offer. We don't have that possibility any longer. We're too large for that. So, so then we found different paths uh, to some extent. But I think that is one of the things that really is a difference. That's interesting. So then if we would ask you, it's one thing to identify attractive companies to acquire, mm-hmm. but h- how do you become interesting as an acquirer? Yes, very good question. I think that is something that you, I think many miss, that this is a true sales process. This is about selling. You need to be selling an attractive home, an attractive journey forward. So what we, we try to do with that is that we always try to have clear purpose and reason, a clear path forward, as I said, and even then try to close some of the uncertainties with what I said before, create a common plan. Right. So people like actually, actually, actually know where are we. Um, and I think here, um, also trying to talk about and feel about cultures and way of working and stuff like that. Um, here I feel it's quite different. Um, another thing we've been working a lot with, I think, is afterwards is to have a very uh, promote and build a very welcoming culture by ourselves, and that we have succeeded. So we we welcome people that joins us also from acquisitions, like a new you know recruit, and and we we are not uh, we don't have a not invented here syndrome and saying that you are lousy, but rather the other way around. Wow, interesting. What can I learn from you? And I think that is also very important to become attractive. And as we have done it a number of times now, as I said, 11 acquisitions, we can also make a new founder talk to an existing one that is already here and they've been through the journey. And that is, of course, very convincing for them. Are you getting more and more attractive as you grow? Yeah, yes and no. I think part, partly more attractive because we're more experienced. You know, we get more experience. The, com- the, the whole companies we discussed is more experienced. But I think the challenge when you grow especially for smaller companies, is that then we are also so much larger. Hmm. So I think it depends a little bit on who, who you talk to. For, for larger companies, we're for sure much more attractive. <laughs> but for a bit smaller companies, we might feel a bit more scary. Okay. I, I have respect for that. What about, uh, we've heard stories, we can't vet if it's true or not, but what is your experience going through this process in different regions? Is it different to buy a French company versus a German versus an American? Yes, for sure. Uh, uh, and talking about culture, that is normally a harder culture, a larger culture gap, I would argue, than, than companies sometimes, i.e. regional culture, because it's sort of linked to maybe 100 or 200 years or maybe more back in time. Right. Um, so we feel that, um, that so far we have not acquired... Uh, in so many countries, but especially in UK, Ireland, and we find that has been 
different for sure uh, and we have adapted and needed to adapt than our nordic culture towards the more more anglo-saxon culture in one way to make it fit better uh, and they have to, had to also move their pieces towards us i would say right it takes two to tango yeah it does i think the positive thing there is that when you get it to work you can actually you know get the best of both words of course the negative piece is that um, people feel a little bit like mm, we're not like them <laughs> and that can of course create a distance but all, overall that has worked very well and we've been also very clear that's good to know if something really don't work on culture uh, we and i have never been afraid to say this doesn't work unfortunately we need to find another home for you so even if it's a high performer i'm not very pro to to uh, to keep um, individuals even they're high performing if they don't fit with the culture and how we like to work and, and we are team oriented players we need to cooperate we need to be open-minded i like to have no politics and and really you no know, clear logic and forward-leaning culture if we don't find that it's hard so how does it usually work when it comes to the ceo and the founders of the companies that you acquire are they sort of handcuffed for for two years and then they they leave the company or do you find new positions and tasks for them to to grow within your company yes for sure uh rather latter uh, it's of course you know uh, as i normally say it's not possible to have one study for your acquisitions i think that is uh, if you, someone says that it's uh, not true because it, of course they are different Uh, so I think you need to be a bit agile and think through how, how things emerge. But for example, we have a number of uh, CEOs right now, actually, that are still actually driving quite similar because they we added, for example, a new loan worker app in UK right now. Um, so the CEO there, his name is Don, and he's heading that, uh, and it's a loan worker solution. We didn't have anything of this before. It's a great solution. It's about protecting people that are working alone or in small groups uh, where it can be risks. And it doesn't make sense. We don't need to sort of, so here he can be a bit of a business area owner for now and continue basically quite similar from before. So that's one example how, how you can integrate, of course. Then, then there are other examples like uh, we acquired a company in Ireland called Engage EHS. They had also a very similar solution like we have. At that point, we decided that we cannot have two, so that product will over time be discontinued. And the CEO there is a great leader, and he has now become vice president of revenue operations in our management team. So you can also, of course, use it from, from those perspectives and find talent. And I think this is the other piece of really what is attractive with acquisition strategy, I would say, is that you can find new areas and new talented people that can, can contribute to your journey forward. And that is truly um, what has happened for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a tactical question. You just made me think about it. <laughs> When you're acquiring companies, if we disregard the product, they have a tech stack in place. They run their own CRM, the HR systems, and a gazillion other platforms. And I'm guessing sometimes they don't match. It's very different from what the acquirer has. Yes, Like, how do you make this work? Because I, I can speak from experience. I, I've led revenue teams for a long time. Yeah. My own teams changing a CRM has sometimes been a nightmare. <laughs> it's a hassle. Yes. No, but as I said, it's also one, one culture, one platform for that perspective. So, so long term, we need to get that one over on the same system. Otherwise, we won't become one company. Right. However, um, here we do. Uh, so if you take internal IT first, uh, my view would be that 
Um, you should always strive to that, but before you do it, you need to do it in a controlled way. So it depends a little bit also on the strategy. If it's something you want to integrate and everyone just need to work on the same product, you need to do it much faster. Right. If it is like the loan workers thing that I talked about now where it's quite separate, you can actually wait a bit because it's still, it's a bit separate anyhow. Yeah. So it depends on the strategy a bit, but of course over time you need to land it. And we have uh, over time and now recently we are investing much more in that because we, we also need on this side to be an attractive acquirer, i.e. have an attractive system. <laughs> so that's that part. I think on the tech stack, you just said, well, that's the other pieces of it that is at least as important is that you don't create too much of a mess on, of your offering technology. Uh, and I think there we, as I said, the platform has really helped us to be quite agnostic of different tech stacks. So we can for sure use as long as they are modern and, and really, you know, up to speed. We have both PHP and .NET, for example. That works very well. No problem. All right. But of course, at some time, you don't want to have too many different tech stacks. So uh, a little bit to round this off, what would be your top advice for companies that are considering an M&A strategy for the future? Yeah, I would really start with the strategy, as I said, and link it to your own strategy. Now, what kind of growth opportunities do you have? Uh, what do you think is most important? If you look forward five to six years... What is the possibility that you still be in leading company or you'll be swallowed by someone else? And, and you know, if you think that you can really make it um, organically, I think organically is always, you know, great in that sense. But if you feel that mm, maybe it is better to actually, you know, secure that we do a combination here through that building more larger company, larger footprint uh, and a stronger company faster. I think that, that that's what what you should start with, I think. And then after that, of course, start to look for what kind of acquisitions could make sense. For example, expanding offering and enter new geographies. So I have a follow-up question then to this. If you have, if you come to this conclusion that we need to continue or start acquiring companies, mm -hmm. but you don't have the cash to do so, yeah. what happens? Do I try to find with my existing owners? If they're not open for it, what do I do? Yeah, I, I would for sure start with the existing finance and owners and board, of course. And if, if that's not true, I assume you need to agree with your board of directors to, that that's a good strategy and find the financing partner for it. There are many, many, many financiers out there that like that kind of strategy. So I don't think that is that hard as long as you get support. But of course, you need support from your current donors and current board to make that happen. For sure. It's a big decision. And another question here, what kind of competence do you need yourself in order to do this? I mean, do you need to hire a special kind of consultant firm or? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I agree. If you're going to do it in, on, on uh, such a scale that we have done, at least you for sure need uh, dedicated resources and you need experience. Okay. Uh, somehow. So either you have it yourself and or you need to recruit, I would say. I don't think you do any, everything with advisors. That would not be my recommendation, at least. Uh, that would be hard. You need someone at least very competent internally. That could be a CEO or CFO or a, you know VP corporate development. It could be different roles, but someone that has done multiple acquisitions and have experience from that process and that's also experience from integration, I would warmly recommend. Because going into this without that experience is like, it's basically it's like starting organic sales and you no one has sold it before yeah <laughs> makes sense <laughs> that's difficult it's like good luck it could work but you know yeah but uh, what is the future for your company now well we we are you know on a very exciting journey we still have this virgin market 
where we and we attract 800 plus customers organically every year. Uh, we will continue to try to do that in an even higher pace. Uh, there are still many, many interesting companies that we like to partner with Outwear, as we say, uh, I acquire. Um, I think there also could be some larger ones. Um, and um, what we look into now more is, of course, um, I would say both North America, but also Northern Northern Europe is very interesting areas. Okay. And of course, if we can also get more more uh, and new offerings, that could also be interesting. All right. So maybe if you're listening, uh, Jöran might knock on your door anytime soon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this goes into this, but what are you looking for right now? I mean, business-wise, is there something that, uh, you know... If Thomas would be a genie and he could grant a wish, yeah, what would you wish? I would say... Um, uh, there are there are a couple of different things that would be very interesting, I would say, but there are many. But the most interesting pieces would be uh, to to find a new uh, new geography or a new country, a strong footprint in in one of the European com- countries we're not in, for example, Germany, um, and and um, but it could be other countries in Europe as well, for sure. Um, that has a good and strong team, uh, and that could be either overlapping our offering or have a new offering. Um, okay. Don't have. Yeah. I think the other piece would be what we're also looking into that is always interesting is uh, technology innovations that could add to our product. We actually have, and, but normally those companies are, are smaller. So we actually done a minority investment as well during this time through that into a company that has a AI solution for recognizing risks through cameras. So they can, through a camera lens, see if Thomas is walking in the non-walking zone and say, eh, you shouldn't walk there. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> exciting. But sorry, Jöran, uh, Germany, it's um, yeah, it's not within my abilities as a genie, so uh, good <laughs> luck with that. But the camera thing sounds exciting. Maybe we can do something around that. Fine. Uh, lastly, who would you like to see on this show? Any guests that you think would be interesting to listen to? Ah, that would be many, I assume. Um... Yeah, but maybe I would. Um, I would like to see Sara Aradson. She has actually been on my board, and she's uh, heading a HR sales firm here. Aha! All right, let's see if we can get hold of her. Very good. Well, uh, Jan, it was a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience on M and A strategy. And I'm sure that if people want to know more, they can find you on LinkedIn or in our network. So for sure, this was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. So Daniel, what is your takeaway from this episode? Many. This was uh, uncharted territory for me, like, like I said. Uh, I have been part of an organization that did you know, one or two, one and a half acquisitions. But doing 11 acquisitions in four or five years is impressive. So it was interesting for me to hear uh, how they have a plan, how they actually have dedicated people. So when you have an M&A strategy, making sure you have dedicated people, that's their job function, that's their job role to manage this process. And Jan referred to his uh, VP of Corporate Development. And in the organization where I've worked, there wasn't a dedicated person. It was you know the CEO, the board, a bunch of people. But having that dedicated person, if it's an ongoing M&A strategy, is key. I, I thought that was interesting to hear. So from your perspective, what was interesting here? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit more techy here. So I think what's interesting to hear how they have built their platform so it will be easier to integrate 
both future functionality that they themselves are doing, but also to integrate with the solutions that they acquire and, and should fit in their ecosystem. So we didn't get into the details, but I guess it means uh, microservices and other things. So as you said, as long as the company that you acquire have a, a modern technology, there should be a, no problem, whatever they are using. Yeah. So I think that is a good thing to to have in mind as, as well when you, you are building your product. Definitely. And there was one thing that I actually didn't see it coming at all, where it's one thing he said to identify cool and great companies to acquire, but you also have to be a company that people want to belong to. Yeah. So you have to be an acquirer that's, that's cool, that's sexy. Did he say sexy? He didn't say sexy. I said sexy. Uh, and I, I, I've never thought of that before because, you know, Probably a lot of these companies that are picked up, there's a lot of people knocking on their door and maybe sometimes they can choose and select. So why should they choose you other than just the money, so to say? Yeah. I thought that was interesting how they've actually worked out a process and thought about that initially. Who are they? What are they offering people when they join their business? Great. So I hope you found this episode interesting. If you have more interest in uh, M&A uh, and so on, you could... Yeah, maybe start a discussion in our Slack community or you can reach out to us. We will probably do content on this topic more times. So um, yeah, that's it for this week. See you around.